Well, it's good to see you again and uh, kind of see you, <laughs> at least see you in my mind's eye. But um, it's time for you to get a Bible and, um, and open it up to Mark chapter 10, uh, Mark chapter 9, and I'll read that in just a moment. I do hope that Monday Thursday was as uh, meaningful as we hoped it would be. It is, as you can well attest, uh, quite odd and uh, something that I hope that we never have to do again. But um, who knows, maybe one more next month, we'll see. But stay tuned and we'll tell you more about um, those plans later. But this morning, we're here to celebrate resurrection. Um, I wish we could celebrate it differently, but that's already been said. But uh, you um, uh, follow now as I read to you a portion of God's Word that's found in Mark chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 and I'll read through verse 13. So you follow in your copies as we read this from a book that we believe to be inerrant, it's infallible, inspired, it's the very mind of God. It's black words on a white page. So you follow as I read them. They read like this. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did, not, did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, the word found here, this endures forever. You know, guys, there is a lot of talk these days about mortality. Have you, have you heard it? That is more talk than normal, whatever whatever normal is. Um, this morning, we as a, a group of Christians are going to join the discussion. We're going to join this, um, this dialogue about mortality. Because you see, we Christians, we, um, we view a lot of things differently than does the, the non-Christian world. In fact, we view just about everything differently than does the non-Christian world. And especially when it comes to this topic of mortality. But I want to I give you an example of, of um, how, we, how, how differently we view things. And to do that, I, I invite you to, to, to find Luke 6 with me. Um, guys, Luke 6 is, is certainly not an Easter passage, um, but I, I, it does illustrate, I think, the point that I'm trying to make about the different slant that we have on everything. Um, are you there? Luke 6? 
let me, let me show you. Um, and by the way, I said this is not an Easter text. This is, this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is early on in Jesus' ministry. We're not talking about um, death and resurrection uh, in this passage. But, but notice something. Look at verse, starting at verse 21 of Luke 6. Blessed are you who hunger now. Keep reading. Blessed are you who weep now. Down to verse 25. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. (laughs) Guys, do you get that? Do you see the implication of what Jesus is saying? Um, You see, there is a now, but there is also a later. There's a now, and then there is a then. Folks, um, Jesus' mission here on earth was not so much to prepare us for the now, but to prepare us for the later. That is right in the forefront of his mind as he starts his ministry. You see, the, the, the resurrection is nothing more than the, the crowning piece of preparation for the, for the later. For, 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 not, for not now, but for the Later. You see, because everything that Jesus came to do was to prepare us for later. (laughs) And the resurrection is just the the crowning piece of that preparation. And yet, very interestingly, I think, We Christians, we fight for this life. We fight to stay in this life. We we resist death. We, We long to stay alive. Even though the life that we enjoy now is so often full of pain and sorrow and loss and grief and injustice, So why is that? Why is it that Christians fight so hard for this life? Well, gang, I'm sure that the answer to that, the answer to that question is very complex. There's, of course, all the, the family peace and all of that, and, and I get it. But I want to suggest to you that at least one of the reasons that we fight so hard for this life is that we we have so many unanswered questions about the afterlife. We have a fear of the unknown. Oh, oh, but we believe it. Yeah, we believe in all that, but, 
but we're not exactly sure what it is that we believe. Um, it's not hard to believe. It's just hard to fathom. So we cling to what we know, as painful as it may be at times, because at least it's a known. We choose the known over the unknown. And we find it so hard to wrap our minds around a place, an existence that is non-corporeal. You know what that word means, guys. It just means there's no body. But you know what? We're not even sure about that. Folks, eternity, with all of its profundity, it twists us into knots. It, it leaves us in possession of just a myriad of questions. I mean, do we have wings in eternity? I mean, uh, can we recognize our loved ones there? I mean, will I always be overweight? I mean, will I always be bald? I mean, will infants still be infants? Will I still be an old man there? The Bible doesn't answer any of my questions. It doesn't even attempt to. It leaves me with this studied ambiguity. All of these questions, and there are dozens of them, and, and, and all of the details that we, that we long to have, all of those questions go unanswered. And so, we cling to the known because we're left with lots of questions about the unknown that the Bible doesn't even try to answer for us. Now guys, that is not to say in any way that the idea of Jesus' resurrection or the afterlife or or our resurrection never comes up. In fact, um, it comes up quite often in the Scriptures. In the Gospel of Luke alone, um, there are eight different conversations where resurrection uh, is the topic of the conversation. Let me, let me just read you one of them. This is in um, Luke chapter 9. Uh, where Jesus says in verse 22, the son of man must suffer many things and, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I mean, there are, there are at least nine places in the gospel of Luke alone where the, the whole idea of resurrection is mentioned and discussed. So um, it's not to say that the, the, the Bible is silent about this subject. No, no. It just seems that when it talks about these matters, it does so with very little detail and with very little fanfare. Now, go back with me to my text, which is Mark chapter 9. And um, let me show you, um, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make here, which is found on display here in Mark chapter 9. 
Um, you'll notice that verse 9 starts with, as they were coming down from the mountain. What mountain? They were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what takes place in verses 1 through 8. The Transfiguration, you remember that thing. Uh, that, that was a big deal uh, where Jesus is transformed and Elijah and Moses show up. That was a big deal. And, and I think the biggest part of the, that whole event is in verse 7 of, Matthew, of Mark 9. A cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. <clears throat> so my text, verses 9 through 13, is preceded by this thing called the transfiguration and this incredible statement about this is my beloved son. Uh, listen to him. It's a big deal. And up there with Jesus are three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And so it says in verse 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, I mean, you would have thought that Peter, James, and John would have learned something about, uh, about this resurrection or afterlife or something. But apparently they didn't. Look at verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. He says it again, you know, point blank. He says, don't discuss this until after I've risen from the dead. And then notice their response in verse 10. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Now, gang, they had just witnessed the transfiguration. Jesus has told them, now don't tell anybody about this until after I've risen from the dead. And they're, they're saying, why? I mean, I, I, what, what does that mean? Well, for heaven's sakes, what do you think it means? Gang, they don't get it. <laughs> and neither do we. That's my point. It's talked about rather frequently in the New Testament. Jesus gives us an experience that is eye-popping in the transfiguration. He mentions it again, and they still don't understand anything. Um, in the face of clear statements from Jesus, I mean, until after the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And they don't get it. I guess what I'm saying, folks, is we're not the only one with the questions. Um, then in verse 11, you'll notice that they ask him this inane question about Elijah Gang, that's nothing more than a piece of circum... He's, they're trying to... It's, they're circumventing their own discomfort. They're just asking a question that would perhaps make them look intelligent um, because it's, it seems that they're almost incapable of asking a sane question. He tells them something about he's going to be raised from the dead and they don't know what that means and so they ask some stupid question. I, I uh, was told of a cartoon one time about two young boys who were walking down the street uh, with their hands in their pockets and they were having this 
this philosophical conversation about heaven and the afterlife and one of the little boys says to the other one when he says well, the, the way I see it heaven is a place where there is no baths no girls and no vegetables folks all I'm saying is what Peter James and John said was just about as stupid as that uh, what about Elijah they're still questioning about what this rising from the dead means. And they have had all of this exposure. Gang, I'm trying to answer why it is that we hold on so tightly to this life. And I'm suggesting to you that one of the reasons that we do is because we have so many, we don't get it. We don't, it's not, it's not that it's hard to believe. We believe it. It's just hard to fathom. It's hard to wrap our minds around this thing. Back to Mark 9. Jesus heals this young boy with an unclean spirit in verses 14 through 29. And that brings us to verse 31, and we're back to the same subject. Look at it. The Son of Man, verse 31 the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Verse 32. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Guys, oh, the privilege that they've had. And they still don't get it. They, they still don't understand what Jesus has said, even though he's using the clearest of language. They, they, um, they weren't rejecting what Jesus was saying or opposing what Jesus was saying. They just couldn't wrap their minds around it. And neither can we. And, and so instead of longing for this victory over the grave, they cling to the now. Because at least, at least they knew certain things about now. One of the reasons, guys, I think, that we are so eager to live on is that so many of our questions have not yet been answered. And so we choose the, um, the known over the unknown. They don't get their questions answered. And neither do we. They have questions. We have questions. We don't have any answers. And that is what I think contributes to our sense of unease about, about resurrection, about heaven, about eternity, about the afterlife, about mortality. And it explains, I think, why we hold on so tightly. 
to this life. And I guess to make matters worse, nobody seems to be able to answer our questions because nobody's been there. You know, I've told you before that I call R.C. Sproul my mentor. I have said that 60% of what I know he probably taught me. It's probably higher than 60%. But R.C. Sproul had a mentor too, and his mentor was John Gerstner. And um, I listen to John Gerstner all the time. I I have a library on tape of John Gerstner's um, compliments of Charles Yancey. But I listen to Gerstner all the time, and the man's brilliant. R.C. tells the story about um, he and a few of his friends while in seminary. He was their seminary professor. And they were so overtaken by John Gerstner and all of the knowledge that he had and all of the things that he had at his disposal. And so one day, um, R.C., after class, goes up to him and says, Dr. Gerstner, could you, could you tell me what is heaven like? And, and R.C. said, in the back of my mind, I thought he could tell me because I bet you he's been there. Well, Gerstner ended up pointing him to some books because, as you well know, Gerstner hadn't been there. And I wish I could give you some help with the questions that you have about eternity and mortality. But I haven't been there either. But that is not to say that I don't have some help for you. I have a little help for you. And it's found in Matthew 28, and I hope you've got your Bible still open. And you can go to Matthew 28 with me, and let me show you what help I do have for you. Matthew 28, of course, is the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It's a description of resurrection morning. It's a description of Easter Sunday morning. And we're told that the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, goes to the tomb, go to the tomb to embalm him which in and of itself shows that they don't get it either because you embalm dead people. You know, I've often wondered why one of the 12 or one of the followers of Christ didn't pipe up and say, hey, hey, you guys, do y'all remember when he said in three days he's going to be ready? You know, why don't we just go down there and check it all out? But instead of that, they do go down there, but they go down there with embalming fluids. Because they, don't, they still don't get it. So they get there. There's an angel. There's an earthquake. The guards faint. And then the angels speak to the two Marys. This is in verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. For he has risen. Now, gang, the angels, the angel could have stopped right there. Because what he has said thus far is marvelous news. He could have stopped right there. He's not here, he's risen. <coughs> because, guys, uh, the, the, the pagan Roman Empire ultimately collapsed under the weight of those seven words. He's not here, he's risen. But he goes on. That is the angel. And folks, I want to suggest to you that this is the point of my entire sermon. 
He doesn't simply say, he is not here, he is risen. He adds something. He adds these three words. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Now folks, I I don't know whether that was a rebuke on the part of the angel or not. That is, as if he were saying, he told you nine different times, were you not listening? He told the God, the Father told you to listen to him. Did you not listen to him? I don't, know whether, I don't know how playful angels are or whether they were just, I don't know. But what I do know is that the real reason at least I believe in the resurrection is because of those three words. As he said. Ladies and gentlemen, a part of my job is that I do funerals. And I'm supposed to go to funerals and I'm supposed to say stuff that will comfort the grieving family. And you know what? I do. I do say things that comfort families. I have things to say that comfort families. And you know where I get them? I get them from the one who's not there anymore because he's written, as he said. This Jesus says things. He said all kinds of things. And one of the things that he said again and again and again is that he was going to rise from the dead. And the reason that I believe in the resurrection is because he said it. Pardon me. Ladies and gentlemen, you do understand, don't you, I hope, that your view of the resurrection is a Christological issue. And here's what I mean by that. Who is Jesus to you? Who is this one that the angel quoted? Who is that he as he said? Who is he? Who is he to you? Because ladies and gentlemen, the reason that the resurrection, the reason that I, even though I've got all these questions about it, the reason that I believe in it Is because he said it. Just as he said. Did Jesus say the resurrection would occur? Oh, about a dozen times. then is that enough for you? He is risen as he said. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a sense in which Easter Sunday morning 
forces you to come to a conclusion as to who you think he is. You know, um, the non-Christian world calls our belief in the resurrection and the afterlife and heaven and all that, they call it wish projection, wish fulfillment. They say it was invented by some simple-minded people who just wanted to see everything work out well. Well, you know what? Um, What you just told me by saying that is that you told me a whole lot about your views of the afterlife, yes. But you also just told me a whole lot about who you think he is. Because here it says he is not here, he has risen. As he said, and he said it several times, And that ought to be enough. And if he is who we say he is, it is enough. If he is God incarnate, it's enough. If Jesus Christ is God in flesh, then those three little words, as he said, is enough to settle this debate. Folks, I would even say to you that there are mountains of evidence that confirm the historical and bodily and physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as for me and my house, none of that evidence is as weighty as those three words. As he said. He said that the resurrection would happen. Ain't that enough? Folks, Jesus spoke of the resurrection. He spoke of his. He spoke of mine. And if he is who we believe him to be then one of those things has already happened and the other one is going to happen he's already resurrected from the dead and his victory over the grave means that I will have victory over the grave also What he accomplished in the resurrection is the final piece of preparation 
for the life later. How do you know that? Because he said so. And ladies and gentlemen, though I have, I have as many questions about eternity as you do. And I don't have a whole lot of this figured out. But he has told me on numerous occasions of the reality of eternity. And because of who he is, the fact is settled. Oh, my friend, listen to me. He is not here, for he has risen. just as he said. And when I die, I will join him. How do you know that? Just as he said. Our Father, uh, in the midst of all of the comforts that we need right now, one big one among them is this, is the certainty of eternity. And would you, O God, use these simple words out of the mouth of an angel to assure us that Jesus would have never told us of these matters if they had not been so. And so we can live with our questions. We can dispense with all the apologetics. And we can race to the person that we know to be God in flesh who told us on numerous occasions that he would be raised from the dead and that his victory over death assures that there will be a victory over death for his people as well. Father, if you've brought people in here this morning who have not yet met this Savior, would you cause them to see that the enjoyments of this life now will never compare to the to what awaits those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their own savior might Jesus in all of his beauty all of his resurrected beauty be seen by everyone who watches this video Draw people to salvation, O God. Draw them now. Draw them to Jesus Christ. Do so for your own glory's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Ladies and gentlemen, we are delighted that you could be with us on this Easter Sunday morning. We trust that it has been in some way helpful. Uh, if you need to get in touch with us, we can be reached at 901-756-7444, or you can go to our website, uh, graceevan.org. If you need us, we would love to be of some service to you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Have a blessed Easter.